Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 1, we're going back to the beginning. Very quickly, some context for those of you who have not been with us, or perhaps you've been in and out over the last um, couple of months, few months now, actually. I think this is the 12th week or 13th week, 11th week that we've been studying through the book of Acts. Um, We're approaching it a little bit different than how we normally approach a book. Usually we like to teach through a book, understand the background, the context, and uh, teach through to hear what the Lord is speaking to both that church at that time, if it's in the New Testament letters, or, um, and also to us as well. But this time we've approached Acts um, from a thematic standpoint, and we're doing it all under the overarching theme of the power and the proclamation. The power and the proclamation. We're looking at the book of Acts and the witness of the church empowered by the Spirit of God to take the gospel into all of the regions, into all of the earth, as they were commanded to do by the Lord Jesus in the gospel before he ascended. And this morning what I'd like to do is um, look at the matter of the ministry of the church, but I want to look at it specifically from the fact that The ministry of the church, the ministry of the witness through the church is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ, which he began. There's no separation between what Jesus inaugurated in terms of his ministry, how he spread the gospel, how the method by which and the means by which the gospel was spread through the person of Jesus on this earth and the mission of the church to take the gospel. And I think sometimes what we have is a break, and and while there is in terms of how we look at church history, the Messianic age and then to the church age, but there's there's continuity between the two, and that is what we look at today. So to do this, I want to begin at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And we've looked at this once before, but I'm going to use this as the jumping off point for today's topic. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's kind of a funny uh, greeting, isn't it? O Theophilus. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, verse 1, I have dealt, Luke says, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, I have dealt, Luke says, with everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So the opening statements, I believe, are rather insightful from Luke to the matter at hand today, and I believe really in helping us understand the purpose of the book of Acts. Acts is an amazing book, it's just that, it's a book Otherwise, sometimes it's known as the Acts of the Apostles. It's Acts of men and women about the mission that the Lord has commissioned them to do. And I believe that looking at this first verse, 
It's going to help us understand really the purpose of the book of Acts. It's the acts of men and women continuing that which the Lord Jesus Christ began here on earth. And these acts, the intent of these acts is to resemble both in aim and also intent and actually in effect as well that which the Lord had purposed in his ministry. So the ministry of the church is to, in effect, have the same aim, the same intent, and the same purpose as the Lord Jesus himself had when he walked this earth. The preaching of hope, peace, and joy in the face of chaos, tumult, and uncertainty and fear. That was the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Hope of justice and peace in rule and reign. They were looking for an earthly kingdom to be established, but what they missed was that the Lord Jesus was bringing a kingdom that could not be seen, but one in which true peace and true justice could be known and would be visible in rule and in reign. Freedom from bondage and oppression was the ministry of Jesus. Sins hold on the lives of men and women experientially, not just here in our minds and hearts, but experiencing the freedom from bondage and from sin and the effects of sin on their lives and our lives. The message of Jesus was life eternal, of course, in the presence of God, our Creator and our Father. And as we know, these are just a few and there are many more, but again, as I said, the point and the purpose of our mission is to continue that which He began. This is what we continue. The mission of the church and its individual parts in this new era of Christianity, that's in which what we live, in the new era of Christianity, that which was inaugurated by Jesus Christ, the mission of the church should be singular in its focus. It's to proclaim the message of hope in Christ Jesus. We have one mandate, church, capital city, we have one mandate, and that is to proclaim and profess and declare and herald the hope of Christ Jesus, the repentance of sin and the turning to him. That is what our life is about. That is what this church exists to be. We must have a singular focus, and it's so easy, is it not, to find secondary and even tertiary things to be about. Because they're good. They're not bad in and of themselves. But let's remind ourselves today, there's one thing that we are to be about. Both as a community, but the community is made up of individuals. That's the trajectory of our lives as well. It's to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. So there's an implication in Acts 1.1, this verb where he says, began. I've dealt with everything that Jesus began the implication is this, that Acts then would be in the record of what Jesus' work would be ongoing. But this time, rather than just through a single man, it would be through his people, through the church, through you and I. So where Luke says, I mean, I'm recording it in Luke, and he's speaking of Luke. In my first book, The Gospel of Luke, I recorded all that which Jesus Christ began to do and teach. And now in my second, I will record everything that he continues to do and to teach but through us, through you, through me, through his church, through the New Testament church. See, we mustn't see discontinuity between the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church. 
They're one and of the same. After all, was Jesus Christ not the firstborn of many? We're not just talking about salvation. But this goes even further in the sense that it's a continuance, but now in new ways, because Jesus Christ's ascension to God the Father's right hand and his sending to us of the Holy Spirit. He's completing that which he began in both power, but now also in victory. Obviously, his death and his resurrection marked his victory, but his ascension now marked a victory over rulers and principalities and authority. And so we as believers in the 21st century, we embark on this mission from a position both of empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but also in a state of victory because he, as we sang this morning, so declaratively rules and reigns. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father today. And he is the one that has sent us. And as I said, where Luke's first account was concerned with the one man, Jesus, this continuance in Acts, now is seen in and through his people. See, though Jesus was not physically present and is not physically present on earth, he is now present in and through and with his church through the Holy Spirit. He left that he might return. He says in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says that that's pre-ascension, right? That's before he's ascended. He says to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Behold, he says. I love that, that, that placement of the word behold. Listen, see, consider. I am with you. Take heart. Know that I go before you. I go behind. I'm alongside. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. This wasn't simply an indicator of the apostolic era, which some might state. The word used here was meant to indicate from the time of his resurrection until the final day, the day. That's what is the end of the age, the day. Of course, with which we still exist within at this time. And while I don't think that any here would dispute God's presence with his people, there are many who would say that that which Jesus did, his ministry, that which the apostles did in the early church age, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Spirit has in fact ended. That perspective is called a cessationist. It doesn't believe, but we're, we're continuists here, aptly named. We are continuous. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still active. We believe that that which was present in the ministry of Jesus is present today in the ministry of the church. In fact, I would say that it just began with Jesus. As Christians, we await the return of Christ, but we do so not sitting idly by. consumed by self-preservation or fighting to keep the world at bay or fighting to insulate ourselves from the corruption of culture. We wait for the return of Jesus Christ with hope and with prayer and with anticipation looking for his return. 
See, this idea of continuance should give to us a sense of purpose in every single thing that we do. If we are, if we can agree, if we believe that our mission is the same mission as Jesus Christ, then every single thing you do has purpose, has meaning, and should be an intent to which advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. There isn't any lost time in Christ Jesus. All of it could be, should be, can be significant. So we can say this, and I think that we would all agree, probably at least to a degree, in what I'm saying this morning, that we are his ambassadors, that God will, can, does use us to speak, that when we pray, God can and will heal that through the power of the Holy Spirit we can resist the work of the enemy in this day and age. We would all agree with that. But my question, and I ask this to myself as well, is why don't we experientially see that present in our lives? And for some, it's, it's, to, it's on a spectrum, right? It's from, for others, for some it is greater, and for others it's not. But why is that that it's a battle? Why is that that we struggle to live in that present reality that God by his Holy Spirit is empowering us to accomplish the mission that he has mandated us to do? Why do we struggle to make our time significant, to make every moment count? Why is that a struggle? Why is it that we can believe it yet never experience it within our lifetime? It's because we're fighting to live right side up in an upside down world. Would you agree with that? Do you experience that? Seemingly going against the stream? See, just as the New Testament believers had to be reminded to watch out, to be alert, to make the most of the time, Right, I mean, we're not the only ones. Paul, he had to instruct the New Testament church the same as well. Make the most of the time. Buy up every moment of time that you can. Do not waste a moment of your life. It's not like, well, now we're so corrupt in this 21st century Christianity. No, it's always been the same. We war against our soulish man who fights against what is true within us in the spirit man. But see, we have to continually recall to mind, we have to encourage ourselves, we have to instruct ourselves that we are not in essence of this world, which is what I spoke on a couple of weeks ago. Yes, we are in it, but in our essence, we are not of this world. We are of something that is different. And therefore, because we are of something that is different, we can expect different results. We can expect different means by which we do things, processes, etc. So I'm kind of an, a, a visual individual. And so as an illustration, who's, who's back there? Can you throw up on the keynote really quick? This was my very quick, oh, so sorry. I'm way behind. Yeah, okay. So this was my really quick crude kindergarten attempt to throw up a visual of what I was thinking here. 
This is the point of, of this. And please don't hear me. I don't want you to feel condemned this morning. I want you to feel challenged. And I, fa- I want you to feel encouraged because the Lord, by His grace, can accomplish this in our life and gives us the ability to live this way by His Spirit. But what we're looking at here is a flow. See, I believe that the intent of the Lord Jesus Christ is that, and as we've been saying over the last couple of months, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So if our chief end is to glorify God, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, giving Him glory by gospel proclamation, then everything else comes through. It's a lens, it's a filter, it's a mindset, it's a way of seeing things and understanding the order of God. But see, everything that we have, that we need, that we want, that we desire, all of our life trickles through this filter of glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we make the proclamation of the gospel, when we make giving God the glory by making his name known, by reflecting him through our life as image bearers, then everything that we need, everything that we even sometimes desire is given to us. It finds its context. It finds its placement, if you will. But hit the next one for me. But unfortunately, what we battle is this. We place life at the top. We place life as our filter. And so what we do is we look at everything through a state of either needs or desires, needs or wants, and they balance each other. And we struggle with this balance in our life. And if we're lucky, some of us find a place for the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ somewhere in that or it becomes one of the counterweights to this balance of our life. And so what I'm saying this morning is that we have it upside down. And this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Turn with me there. Is this okay? Are you guys are you, are you picking up on this? My you picking up what I'm laying down. Okay. Matthew chapter 6. I'm hitting some really well-worn text this morning, so don't let your over-familiarity become just the lens through which you hear it and you go, oh yeah, I've heard that text before. Turn in your Bibles, look at it with me, and remember that the Word of God is living and active. Matthew chapter 6, verses. let's start in verse 25, and I'll just read this portion of the text titled, Do Not Be Anxious. So let's keep this in mind. Again, we're talking about the mission of the church as a continuation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why do we struggle at times to experience that which I believe the Lord has intended for us to experience? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is Jesus speaking. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, some, some translations say pagans, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here's the point of it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things. Not some of these things, but what? All of these things. What we wear, what we will eat, where we will go, what our time will look like. All of those things must find their context in the right orientation, which is a God word, Christ exaltation, gospel proclaiming, God glorifying orientation. And then, seeking first that, all of these things will be given to us. How stinking countercultural is that? And how easy is it to say it? And how hard is it to live it? It's incredibly hard. Why? Because it's a faith issue too. Because it's what is seen right here. I mean, that's why the New Testament is, well, in the Old Testament as well, is chocked full of faith in that which you cannot see. And we're not just talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, what does Hebrews tell us? So-and-so, and so-and-so, and this person, and that person, and this person. They did what the Lord had called them to do. It's a matter of faith at times. When we live to glorify God and make Him known, the rest flows from the Father above. Everything that you need. Not everything you necessarily want and desire. But you know what? Sometimes He does give us those things as well. And when he does, they're even better than before than we had hoped for him. And as I've said earlier throughout this text, sorry, throughout this series, we sometimes get that equation wrong. We want to enjoy God forever, enjoy the benefits without giving God the glory. It has to be. See, the, the one finds its context in the other. The enjoyment of God is found in the life trajectory of Godward glorification. I was thinking about that as well as I was pondering this concept of, of like an overarching lens. There's a presupposition, I think, that exists within all of the New Testament letters. And it's this, that the hearer or the reader, which was more, it was more often the hearer of the letter, already had this lens that was set. And so when James would encourage us to say to see all of our trials as an opportunity of joy, he could say that because of that perspective. Because it was coming through the lens of God. It was coming through the lens of the gospel proclamation and it found its place. So not even the good things in life, even the difficult things in life find their place within the sovereignty of God as the gospel is proclaimed. See, through this lens, we see trials as an opportunity for the sovereignty of God to be on display. But through the life lens, 
Trials are just a lack of hope. They're just a trial. They're just something to endure. There's no significance. There's no purpose to it. To one, there's purpose, and to the other, there's not. And when Paul tells husbands to love their wives selflessly in Ephesians chapter 5, and sacrificially as Christ loved the church, or the community of Christ to bear each other's burdens, or he instructs us not to take part in unfruitful works of darkness. All of this is through the lens of the glory of God being our primary aim. And I think that's just laid upon all of the New Testament. It's assumed. So when you read it, this is the assumption. That was Paul's assumption and Peter's assumption and all the other writers within the New Testament. So why is this important to the matter of continuance? Because we're fighting against an enemy who wants to rob us of our aim and of our focus. And this is how it's done. Through things that you can see, things that you have to endure, things that are in front of you, when they become primary, the gospel becomes secondary in our lives. So what does it mean now that we would continue in the ministry of Jesus Christ as I alluded to, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, and we know this text really well, all authority, but as it relates to this matter today, listen, all authority, he says, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not me, Jesus is speaking. All authority on heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what's the word that follows that after that period? Go. Go. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And then he says again, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to you, not to me, but to him and his commission is rooted in that very authority. Again, seated at the right hand of the Father, victoriously triumphant all, over all powers and all authorities. And you and I and the church and all of those who have gone before us have been commissioned to go in that power and in that authority. First Peter, he says this, that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. That's 1 Peter 3.21. This is the same victory that Rick spoke of two weeks ago. That the, the strong man has been bound. If Christ is victorious, if Christ is ruling and reigning over all powers and all authorities and all rulers as we've just seen, as he himself has stated and as that text in 1 Peter, how then could the enemy have any dominion over us? He doesn't. He only has sway over those whom are his. And now what do we do? We're called to the mission to plunder that which he has in his possession. Plunder it is right. Jesus, holding all power, holding all authority, has given us the same mission, empowered by the same Spirit, the same mission that he was on by the same Spirit that empowered him 
empowers you and empowers me today. By whatever means possible, he determines to complete that mission. So I want to give to you three areas as we just land this morning on this idea that we are, we are just continuing today. We're continuing today. Turn in Luke chapter 4, please. I hope it's okay, as you can tell. I'm not just using one chunk of the book of Acts as the impetus or the foundation for this morning. But I will give you some, some more Acts examples here. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to give you three areas. There's more, but I, these are three larger, broader, overarching areas of continuance as seen in Jesus' ministry and also seen in the book of Acts, which we've been commissioned to continue in as his church, as his people. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, and you all say, I know this text so well. Actually, go to 16. This is Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and he read. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was coincidentally given to him. He unrolled the scroll. That was a joke. You got that right. The, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And he quotes Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's the equivalent of dropping the mic in the New Testament. And he goes, boom. <laughs> Awesome, right? <laughs> so the first is this. Three areas of continuance that we as his people are called in the mission of gospel proclamation. The first is, not coincidentally, bold proclamation of the gospel unto salvation. Oh, would you do me a favor? I'm so sorry. I don't have my tablet. Would you just advance the keynote for me? Just for the sake of those who would like to have these really profound things written down. Bold proclamation of the gospel unto salvation. There was a slogan I was thinking about this. In the 1700s of the Revolutionary War, it was this. It was, no taxation without representation. You guys remember that? We all remember it from grade school. All right. I would like to today, I'm going to resurrect that, but we're going to reclaim it for the mission, for our battle cry, for the Revolutionary War that we're declaring on the city of Sacramento. It's this. No proclamation without expectation. Okay, that's our slogan. No proclamation without expectation. It isn't just bold proclamation of the gospel. It's bold proclamation of the gospel unto salvation. What are we expecting when we speak what is true? What do we believe that the Lord wants to accomplish? Yes, we know what we're called to do, and yes, the Lord is sovereign, and it's up to the Lord whom he calls unto himself when he chooses. But the point is, is 
is let's have the mentality of faith to believe and to expect and to call people to repentance and to invite people into knowing this great God and King who we sat and enjoyed our worship and gave great such delight and pleasure. Should this place not be filled with others who experience the joy of worshiping the Lord and the lavish love and faithfulness of God that we experience on a day-to-day basis? And some of you in this room today are such people who have come to know the Lord as of recent. No proclamation without expectation. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, Jesus says, is upon me. Why? He has anointed me to proclaim good news, to proclaim the gospel. Not just, I finished reading 40 days of purpose, so I will proclaim the good news. No, the spirit of the Lord has empowered me, has anointed me, has anointed you and I to proclaim the good news. He's called me, he's sent me, and he's empowered me. And it's an interesting interjection of the word sovereign, isn't it? It's not just the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's the sovereign Lord. Why is that? Because he sovereignly moves on behalf of his perfect will, of his plan, of his desired outcome, not of our own. We desire that all would come to know the Lord, do we not? But not all will. Why is that? We don't know. That's the Lord's sovereign plan. That's his sovereign choice. So some examples of this bold proclamation unto salvation. Peter in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 before the council. Peter in Acts 5. Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Philip in Acts chapter 8 twice. Simon the magician and also the Ethiopian eunuch. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. And there's more, and on, and on, and on. Bold gospel proclamation unto salvation. That was their expectation because they knew what they were called to and they knew he who sent them and they knew the authority in which they had been sent. I think it's important for us to remember that we have not just received the Spirit of God for our own salvation, but to freely give that which we have freely received. Sometimes it's really easy, and it's not bad to be caught up in our own personal holiness. We ought to be. But it cannot just be about you sitting there in your seat. It's not. Because look around you. God has called others, and He desires to call more. And so it has to be about that which we've freely been given. That we might, as we've been talking, indiscriminately give unto all who would present themselves to us. Really quickly, I had this dream a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to share with you a couple of things. The Lord spoke to me really profoundly at the end. I had set some time aside to seek the Lord, and this time had come and gone. It was, it was almost about 30 days And it was like, oh, man, I'm not hearing anything really significant from you. And I finally had just settled it in my own heart that, you know what? If nothing comes from it, I I will know that I was obedient. I set myself apart the morning of of the end of this time that I had designated. 
it was four o'clock in the morning, and I woke up and I was having a dream. And I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh man, this dream is amazing. I was just laying in bed. And the Lord was like, boom, boom, boom. He started speaking these things to me in this dream that I was having. And I was completely overwhelmed. And one of them was this. There was a picture, and it was actually it was a Sunday worship, but it wasn't in this place. It was the dream I was having. And Rick was standing before the church, and he was sharing a vision that he had. And the vision was this. It was, it was about popcorn. Raise your hand if you like popcorn. Okay, I love popcorn. I love to put stuff on popcorn. Valentina on popcorn is so good. Parmesan cheese on popcorn, salt. I love it all. You know, the more the better. But, and in the dream, Rick's talking to us as a church about popcorn. And in the dream, the Lord gave me the interpretation for what, which, what Rick was talking about. And, I, and he reminded me or, or showed it to me as I was laying in bed, and it was this. It was very simple, and it's, what we've been, it's consistent with what we've been talking about. But it was this. You have been gospel consumers. This popcorn is so delicious. But it, at the detriment of the kernel, you've popped so much of it that you've lost. Now I want you to be gospel sowers. You've been gospel consumers. Now it's time to be gospel sowers. And it was not about how great, because it's not bad to consume the gospel. It's not bad to be concerned with your own personal individual salvation. But to the detriment of the sowing, of the indiscriminate giving, then it becomes a matter of issue. And I felt like the Lord spoke that to me that morning, that I've been a gospel consumer, that we have been gospel consumers, but now it's time to be gospel sowers. The second thing is this, the witness of the church continues in the healing of the sick. You can throw that up on keynote for me, please. The witness of the church continues in the healing of those who are sick. And he says this to proclaim liberty to the captives, and he adds to Isaiah 61, and restore sight to the blind. Now, I understand the metaphor in this. Don't, I'm not saying this was his literal intent, because there is a, a greater purpose behind that res- restoration of sight to the blind. However, Jesus' ministry, as well as that of the New Testament church, was earmarked by signs and wonders. It accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. Literal physical healings accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, the apostles in Acts chapter 5, Peter in, in Acts 6, uh, that was the, um, the individual who was bedridden, um, Aeneas, Dorcas, who's dead, comes back to life. Paul in Acts chapter 20, because he's so long-winded like I am this morning, someone falls and dies, falls off the roof and dies. It's a good thing there's nobody sitting up there today. Could you imagine that? It was only right for for the Lord to heal (laughs) his beloved servant through (laughs) by his grace. But even still, that wasn't so much. Well, the gospel was being proclaimed. (laughs) <laughs> and remember this, though, it's the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. It's not you've got it all figured out and you took the what's my spiritual gift assessment test and you know where you're... No, you laugh, but there, this is a real thing. People do this and believe in this. I say it in jest, too. That's why you laugh. But, it, but the reality is, is it's, it's the grace of God who moves through us according to his sovereign purpose 
But our part is to step out, just as it is in the gospel proclamation, is to step out in faith. When we feel, when we feel compelled by the unction of the Spirit of God, when we faithfully step out in prayer, when someone comes in a place of sickness, do we approach like, well, he's, my, he's probably not going to do it. I've never seen anybody healed before. Or is it always the same? You know what? God, what is true is that you desire us to be well. But our sinful nature is what keeps us, is why we experience these sicknesses and these illnesses. And so today in faith, we extend our hand and we ask for the healing of the Lord Jesus Christ to be present in this physical body. That's the way that we approach it. We don't conjure up some method. There isn't like a way that we shake and move and then we lay hands on it. No, it's the same way. It's, God, this is what you desire. This is your intent. This is what is true. This is what you've provided for us, for humanity in Christ Jesus. And so in faith, we speak what is true to this person. Let's demystify this idea that physical healings are either relegated to the super elite holy people or to the New Testament apostles. If the gospel being proclaimed is a continuation of the ministry of the church, just as it was of Jesus, is it not reasonable for us to expect the signs and the wonders that accompanied? And I know there's many of you in this room who've experienced it before, myself included. And so this just isn't something we read about in the underground church in China. No, it's happening. It happens, and it's a desire of the Lord. But it takes stepping out in faith just as it did for Peter and John. And I just want to share this other thing with you too. And I'm, I'm going to go long today, so I apologize. I'm going to ask you to stick with us. Because I want to share with you another part of this dream that I had. There was another thing that the Lord spoke to me. And in this dream, uh, there was a member of this church that was standing and was praying during our time of worship. And as they were praying, they, they were just, I don't remember what it was, but they were praying something that was personal. It was like, it was a personal need of some sort. And here's what I, in, in the dream, my response was this. I was compelled to immediately get up and to pray for that individual. And it was, they were standing, they had the microphone, it was a public space, it was in this public space. So I was compelled, I stood, I went to the person, I laid my hands, and immediately as I laid my hand on the person, it was my right hand, and it, it, it got hot, like flaming hot. And I felt the Lord, that the Lord was healing that person immediately. And it was interesting, that person turned in my dream and ran. And I turned and I ran after the person, I pursued him. It was like a, almost like a hallway of a school was, was the picture of it. And I went after this person in my dream. And as I was laying in bed, the thing that I heard the Lord speak to me was this. It was that, um, let me, oh, sorry, let me back up really quick. What the Lord spoke to me was this, that there was two aspects. The first is that we must, have the expect, we must be ready to respond. Just as I responded in an instant to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we must be ready to respond. The second is that the Lord said to me that I have, you've seen healings before as a community in the, in the existence of this church, and it's time to expect them again because I will do it. And the part of the person running was this. We are not gonna see people healed every single time, but we are to pursue it with the same diligence and fervor that as that person ran, so I too ran after them. And that we are to pursue that as a community because the Lord's desire is to manifest himself again through healings. And so I say that to you today, that I feel the Lord spoke that to me, not just me as an individual, but for this community, 
that we are to expect it, and that we are to pursue it. And when we don't see it, we continue, and we continue, and we continue. So I give that to you today. And then the third thing is this, that the witness of the church continues in resisting the work of the evil one. And Jesus says this in that Luke passage, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. It's the proclamation of what has been done. And I'm, I keyed in this week on that word proclaim, to herald what Jesus Christ has done through the cross. Not our proclamation of eloquence or charisma, but a proclamation of this is what God has done. This is what is true. And as Kevin said last week, it is then that as we advance, opposition is met. But Jesus Christ is victorious. Jesus Christ rules and reigns. So we advance in a victorious state, knowing the outcome of the battle that it has already been won. But the point is, is, is that that is how opposition is resisted. That is how we're able to resist. And as Kevin said too, we don't go looking for it. We're not, we're not out there just, you know, going, yeah, I think Kevin said like demon hunting. It's like that movie Troll Hunter, Demon Hunt Part 2. We're not out there hunting, you know, for spiritual warfare. But the reality is, is we're going to meet it as the gospel is advanced. It's the natural response of the enemy to resist the advancement of the gospel, especially, you guys, when we begin to set this as the aim of our hearts and of our lives. When this community sets itself to that purpose without fear and without trepidation, you can guarantee that you will meet some form of opposition. Two, three weeks ago, I was with a young guy who out of the blue hit me up and he, he said, hey, I was thinking about you. I'd like to get together with you and have coffee. I had a great opportunity to share the gospel with this guy a couple years ago because he was one of my employees. And I, and I hadn't seen him in probably a, a year. So we sat down and had coffee. The whole purpose, he wanted me to tell him about Jesus. That was it. I had shared with him before and he wanted me. So I'm sitting there and I had a wonderful time with this guy. And I believe the Lord is gonna save him, by the way. Has not yet, but I believe that he's close. I go out to my car with my boys, and someone has smashed in the window of my car, and they stole my work bag. They stole my preaching notebook, which I'd write lots of notes in, and they stole my laptop and my sunglasses. Like, it was gone. And I just went, you know what? That's as much as he's going to get from me. You want to try to, like, bum me out? All right, I was bummed. I lost some things that were important to me. But you know what? In the scheme of what I was doing... Honestly, I just set my trajectory that day. I was like, nah, you know what? You can have it. I actually prayed multiple times. I asked that the Lord would let that, whoever that was, open my notebook and read some of my notes and come yes. to faith. I did. I prayed that like two or three times through the day. But the point is this. The gospel was being advanced and some little stupid thing happened to me on the side. That's going to happen to us. It's, it's life. But it doesn't detract us from what we're doing. It cannot detract us from the course that we've been setting on. It's, it's battle 101. As we go forward, we meet opposition. So here we go. We're going to land with this. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he gets stoned. Not stoned, but... 
That's his coping method. He gets stoned. Stephen is stoned, you guys. James, Acts chapter 12, he's put to death. Paul in Acts 14, he's stoned as well in Lystra. Paul in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva. That just sounds like, min, like minions, at least Sceva. <laughs> and basically all the rest of Paul's life, shipwrecked, whipped, beaten, bitten by snakes, stoned and you know, left for dead, imprisoned, falsely accused by religious leaders. That was, it was opposition after opposition after opposition. But what did Paul do? He resisted the work of the evil one because he knew where he was going, what he was called to, how he was commissioned, and more importantly, the authority and the power of which he was going within. And it's the same for us today. The work of the church is to push back the work of the evil one. That's what Paul says to the Ephesians, that now the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all powers and authorities through the church. That is our work as a community of believers. May the Lord Jesus Christ give us the grace to do so. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please.